I got to ask, you know, do you know of any other songwriters that, that incorporate cannabis into like their creative style and, and songwriting process? Just about all of them. Ah, there we go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lit and Lucid, your after work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy Cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. You know, guys, we are here kicking off season 12. Last week, we had Weed and Grub on the show, and they were hilarious. It was so cool to have other podcast hosts on our show and learn a little bit more about them. But this week, uh, we're kicking off 420 holiday, which is, you know, our favorite holiday. And today, we have a very special guest. We have legendary musician David Crosby. He is the founding member of the iconic band Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and The Bird. He's sold over 35 million albums and been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. And today, he's joining us to discuss his longstanding passion for the cannabis plant, as well as his latest project with his longtime friend, Stephen Sponder, Mighty Cross. So with that, welcome, David. How's it going? It's going very well, man. It's a beautiful sunny day out here in California, and just exactly the kind of thing you, you, you expect and you hope for. <laughs> oh, I love it. You know, we were like, we're daydreaming already. We... We just went through a couple of rounds of snow here in Colorado and some, you know, we're getting a taste yeah, of the springtime. It's still winter there, right? It's still practically winter. I mean, it's spring, summer, winter, kind of every day you wake up, it's something different here in Colorado, but we sure do <laughs> dream of uh, a California and that sweet sunshine. So glad to, uh, glad to hear you're, you're soaking it up. Summer in Colorado, man, it's wonderful. I've done it many a time. Summer's usually when I'm touring around all, all, everywhere. And so that's when I wind up coming to Colorado. I love it. Yeah, those those mountains are where it's at in the summertime. <laughs> boy, oh boy. <laughs> well, let's just get it going. You know, we normally ask our guest hosts if uh, if they're cannabis consumers, but we are well aware of your cannabis consumption. And, you know, millions around the world even look at you as a connoisseur of cannabis. So we're just going to kind of skip that whole question and just go right to the start of like, you know, where did you... Yes, your, I do smoke pot. Yes, <laughs> I, do. <laughs> I love it. So tell us about, you know, where your connection to cannabis first started. Uh, started when I was very young. I was, uh, this before I was in the birds, I was, uh, not exactly officially like an apprentice, but I, I, what you did back in those days was you found a musician that would let you dog their steps and sit in front of them and, and hawk their changes and, and learn from them. Right. It was, it wasn't an official apprenticeship, but it was sort of, you kind of just attached yourself unofficially and and followed them around and watched what they did with their hands and i so that that started well golly that's got to be like 1960 okay something like that and and uh and the person that i was following around uh one time started smoking something in the back with the bass player and the drummer and i but gee, you know, hey, whatever that is, I want some too. And um, that was, uh, it turned out, you know, I was one of those lucky people that it's really works with. And uh, so I started getting high very early, very young. I was uh, smoking pot the whole time that I did the birds. Uh, I was smoking pot the whole time that I did everything else. 
Yeah. Uh, so I've been smoking it for, uh, what, 50, 60 years. Nice. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, nobody can really doubt the experience at that point. I mean, you've probably seen no. it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> And, and and you know if there was any uh, any mystery about it, it's cleared itself up as the time passed. <laughs> I love that. Well, we know you know along with you know just consuming cannabis on the road and you know hanging out with all your band friends, we know that you also consume for your creative process, whether you know you're writing lyrics or even when you're performing. So explain to us a little bit more about you know how does cannabis make you feel when you're you know in the creative process or when you're performing. I wish I could delineate it really clearly for you. And it, it's very difficult to do. I'll take a swipe at it, but it's, it, it's hard to put your finger on exactly how being high affects your creative process. Only it does. Mm -hmm. There isn't any question it does. Uh, it is a regular thing for me to get high, pick up a guitar and noodle around. <laughs> just experiment. Just put it in another tuning completely from the last one it was in. And see where it takes me. Hmm. I do that all the time. I do it every night. Uh, it it's very loose and it it fits the the mode of being high really well. Yeah. Um, I can do focused work on something when I'm high, but uh, more often than not, I wander very loosely, very very unplanned, and see where it takes me. Uh, that's a lot of my writing process. Uh, I, 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 I try to stay open and ideas come to me. You know, I fool around on the guitar and I find something and it leads me somewhere. Uh, I'm, I try to, it's really a process of trying to stay really open mm -hmm. and, uh, and be very experimental, you know, try to try not to come in with a, a preset, try, try not to do what you did the last time. And that has to be hard, right? I mean, you've created no, no, how easy. many albums? <laughs> it's not only not hard, it's fun. Yeah, that sounds fun. It's a massive amount of fun. Uh, so, no, it's not hard at all, darling. I, I love doing it. I still do it, even though I've been doing it for 60 years. That's, That's amazing. Yeah, and so you've also been inducted into the, the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And I mean, I got to ask, you know, do you know of any other songwriters that, that incorporate cannabis into like their creative style and, and songwriting process? Just about all of them. Ah, there we go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it varies wildly. You know, there are people who are very dedicated to the pop world who are there to win and they're desperate for it. And yeah. so they don't, they don't do any drugs. They don't do anything that can, you know, tarnish the shine on their stardom. I say I don't believe in stardom in the first place, uh, I, or celebrity, or fame, any of this. I don't think it's all just nonsense. Uh, so it that doesn't apply to me. But it it to look. I would guess the great majority of actually creative people, people who, who write, who create the the music world that you like. I'd say way. That's it. The majority of us do get high. And and uh, and that it works for us, and that uh, you know, weed is like beer and wine. It is not going to fix your life. It is not going to be your be all and end all. It's not going to bring you the great love of your life. It's not going to get you the, your the job you want. It's just something you do that makes you comfortable and that it makes you feel good. Now, 
that works for me. Mm-hmm. I don't need it to be, you know, like the Holy Grail. I need it to be fun. Yeah. I got a PhD in fun and weed is fun. <laughs> <laughs> you guys did have a lot of fun. You guys, you're still having fun. Right? I think that's what's cool. I am. I'm, I'm having fun today. Right now, <laughs> I'm having fun. Talking to you. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, cannabis itself, you know, we talked about this a lot in different forms of cannabis consumption and how it's affected a lot of people. And this is really the first time we were talking cannabis and music. But, you know, when you talk cannabis and music, you know, everybody always looks at it as like that intrinsic connection, like the two go hand in hand, like without a doubt, you know. And, uh, you know, I think... Yeah, have for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's fair to say. You know, uh, music is something that you can do when you're stoned. Uh, there's lots of stuff, you know, I would not want to be flying a 747 full of passengers when I'm stoned. True. I, I might be able to do it. Uh, <laughs> I am a pilot, but wow. but, but uh, I, I certainly would not attempt it wacko. Uh, on the other hand, making love and making music go better if you're stoned. So, go. you know, it you got to do the right tool for the right job. Well, speaking of love, making love and the summer of love, <laughs> we had a question on here about Woodstock and... Uh, you know, everybody, we and everybody listening, I'm sure knows uh, about Woodstock and the influence it had on music and really culture. And, you know, it's so cool to talk to you because you were there. You you experienced it. You got to play Woodstock and you got to be there and, and all that. I'm curious, you know, at the time of Woodstock, when all this was going on in the summer of love and in 69, uh, did you guys know at the time the influence that Woodstock would have no. on culture well, and music? No, and- yeah, no, 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 no. We had no idea. Everybody knew that it had gotten bigger than it was supposed to. Yep. And there was a uh, an underground rumble that it was going to get even bigger. Uh, but nobody knew the significance. No, no, we that didn't happen until later. And it didn't happen until they made the movie. Uh, the movie really, really pushed it over the top. Uh, we we just thought we were we were going to an unusual gig. And then... When we flew in on the helicopters, we realized how unusual <laughs> it actually kind of was. Because, yeah. man, they had, we flew over the freeway, part of the freeway, and we were still 20 miles from the gig, and it was stopped, cold, filled. Wow. It was a river of parked cars. That's what mm-hmm. I was going to say. At least, 20, you guys had a, at least you had helicopters. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, thank heavens. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, I'll tell you my Woodstock story if you want. Let's hear I got it, yeah. one. It speaks to the vibe of the thing, which was really where it got unusual. You know, gigs can get big and be very impressive that way, but that's not really significant. This is what was. Okay, so I saw a girl. She was a, uh, she had a nice tan. She had blonde, pretty, long legs, short dress, very pretty, long tan legs, walking in the mud barefoot. One of many. <laughs> and uh, she stepped on a piece of glass and I, I heard her cry out and I looked at her and I saw her do it and I saw her pull her foot up and she was bleeding pretty badly. It was a, a big piece of glass and it was a bad cut. Now I look over to the side and here's a New York State Thruway Trooper and he had just come on duty and this guy's pants crease was knife sharp. <laughs> his, shades, his shades were reflecting the sun brilliantly. He, he, he was natty. He had just come on and he looked absolutely perfect. And he looked over at this girl and he immediately marched into the mud with his shiny shoes, got them totally ruined, got the mud all over his pants, did not even look, picked the girl up gently and carefully and respectfully 
and carried her to his car. One of us opened the back door for him. He put her gently and, and almost sweetly into the car. Okay, really taking care not to hurt her. Uh, obviously being a gentleman about it. Puts her in the back of the seat of the car, and then the car is stuck to the hubs in the mud. That oh car was not going to move at all. And about 20 hippies get behind the car and push it out of the mud. <laughs> now, that works for me. That works for me a lot. I liked that a lot. That's more like how things are supposed to go. Yeah. So that made me really happy. And that was the vibe there that day. That's how it, people were behaving to each other. If you had a sandwich and you were talking to a hungry person, you tore the sandwich in half and gave it to them. That's it was like that. Now, I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe God smiled. Maybe there is a God. How the hell do I know? Uh, it, I know that there was something different there that day in the way people related to each other for the most part. And I, I was ecstatic about it. For an idealist like me, it was heavenly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because everything going on at the time, you know, do you want to talk about kind of what was going on at the time in the 60s? I mean, you were also a major, a major mover in, in the counterculture movement. And, uh, well, the anti-war movement, you yeah. know, really seriously anti-war thing. We, were, we had a war going on we, that we should not have been in. Everybody knew it. Mm -hmm. And we were fighting against it very, very strongly. Yeah. This was not really about that, though. It, it was a, about lifting your spirit and treasuring great music and realizing that there were a whole shitload of, of us yeah. that did. What's so crazy about that is there's a lot of people who at the time were popular and they turned it down. And I think what's cool about it, still looking back, like that thing was still off the chains and it still to this day lives as one of the greatest music festivals of all time. Even just like in its in its in its form, and it's never been replicated in, in my mind, and um, I don't know if it ever will be. Um, but it, you can't really replicate it. You can you can take the idea and try to build a similar idea, but when you, they tried to replicate it, they got you know they got out the mind. They went 100, 180 degrees out and created a monster. Yeah, you know you can't you can't legislate magic into being. And there was some magic going on between the people at Woodstock. Yeah. Maybe it was just the thrill of the first time that we saw people behaving nicely. Uh, maybe it was more. I think more. But, you know, who can prove? Yeah. Well, clearly, I mean, it's, it's like I mentioned when we started this, it's really sent a ripple throughout, uh, I think, culture in general and not just even the music industry. It's just culture in general. I mean, here, Lucy and I are, we're in our 30s and... We weren't even, you know, conceived yet. Our parents, I'm not even sure. Our parents were just being born and uh, we're just, you know, children at the time. And here we are and we're still influenced by it. I mean, I like dream of going back to Woodstock and still wish there'd be <laughs> another one today. Um, but it, it's just sent ripples. There'll be something else, man. There'll be, there'll be another kind of gathering. You know, it, human beings like elevating themselves and like gathering together and celebrating stuff. And it, we'll find another one, another way, another, another reason. Mm -hmm. It'll happen. Do you think like Burning Man or anything like that is close to what Woodstock was? Not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> Burning Man is a, a fascinating thing, but it doesn't involve the performance of music to the degree that our concerts do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hi. Well, I'm talking to you. I love it. <laughs> no worries. Uh, I'm taking a hit off of a PAX 3 here. 
smoking some flowers that we grew ourselves. Mm. Um, the music music festivals are are kind of different. There's a focal point that isn't there so much, you know, in Burning Man. Burning Man is fascinating, and it's a bunch of people trying to express themselves, you know, and express freedom, and express unexpectedness. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, it's not quite the same as a gig. Mm-hmm. Gigs have a special thing to them. Yeah, I personally a big fan of acu- acoustic music, and I know uh, you know a lot of our friends these days are really into like electronic music and electronic festivals. And I don't know, you know, it was really hard for us to watch. What was it, the Grammys? Yeah. A few a few weeks ago or last week or something. And I was telling Lucy, I'm like, you know, the mainstream culture has like an appreciation of music, and then there's and then there's music, and there's like the whole <laughs> there's a whole there's there's pop music, and then there's music in my mind. And uh, I agree. I think you know. Some of those festivals, they're not really like Burning Man. I wouldn't say so much is like rooted in music. It's I think it's more like a culture and a mindset and ideology type of thing, versus Woodstock was kind of yeah, yeah. Woodstock kind was music, of, yeah. but then it was still kind of ideology and music, and it was like using music to bring together the ideology to like for change and um, yeah. I I think it is it is quite different, but you know than I would. Well, speaking of change, you know, you've been a very influential character, you know, in the counterculture movement, and you've been spreading, you know, big, passionate messages pretty much since the 60s. So what are some things that you're really passionate about? Well, geez, where do I start? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'm passionate about the human race. I'm passionate about intelligence. I'm passionate about us uh, trying to outgrow uh, warring with each other and start getting into cooperating with each other because we've got a lot of problems to solve and we need to cooperate with, with each other to do it. Yeah. Uh, I'm into trying to keep the human race from going down the tubes behind its use of uh, fuels. Uh, we have to stop burning uh, have to stop burning hydrocarbons and coal, coal and oil and stuff. Got to stop or we will simply get to an irreversibly bad place and the human race will not survive on this planet. Uh, I'm into art. I'm into creating light with art and lightening your load, making you feel good, making you able to look at things, get a glimpse of things, get another viewpoint of things that elevates your, your understanding. You know, uh, I'm into friendship. I'm into people reaching out to each other and trying to share the love because uh, it makes it better. Many people have helped me that way. Oh, and I, and I have done some seriously downtime and I did a year in prison in Texas. Mm-hmm. That is downtime. You do not want to go there. You do not want that. And, and, but I got through it. And part of it, the reason I got through it was other human beings reaching out. I treasure that. I treasure that urge to reach out, you know, human beings i treasure intelligence i treasure humor i treasure curiosity <laughs> i treasure all of that stuff and i don't even remember where we started because i am now totally stoned. <laughs> <laughs> i love it you're doing great i think those are all great things to yeah. love really i think that's beautiful yeah and, that's um, true but i don't remember what the question was <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you, you answered it the question was about you know things you love and you like eloquently Gave us a nice. Oh, good! Of I lucked out. You, you, yeah, you really lucked out. 
Well, I think you know, it's really apparent too when we we're like digging through your background and kind of putting the pieces together ourselves. What was most apparent to us was that um, you really did have you crossed paths with a lot of different people along the way, and you had a lot of friends and a lot of opportunity. And, and you really, I mean, what was so cool about maybe looking at the music when you first started with like the Birds, and then uh, when you formed uh, Crosby, Still and Nash, and it almost seemed like it was a very tight knit community where you were able to find people to kind of gig with, and then that's just where things kind of blossomed from and. I'm sure it's still the same today. I'm not in a band myself, but I'm sure it's very similar where it's a tight-knit community in the music culture. And uh, But that's just what stood out to me the most with uh, your background was like you guys, you were friends with like everybody at the time who was, you, you, who was like on the same stage or sharing the stage with you. Well, I, I like musicians. I, I, I don't like uh, pop stars so much very in general, but uh, musicians, people who can create music, I tend to towards and when they are also nice people then i really seek them out as friends because uh, they're they've been my my best friends yeah. you know well and you have you've worked years. with like so many influential people you know from like bob dylan and jerry garcia and elton john like who would be one of your favorite collaborations that you've worked with well probably of those ones uh uh you could pick from garcia <laughs> but but they're all fascinating men believe me singing with elton is fun yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, trying to figure out, you know, parts with, with uh, David Gilmore is fun. It, working with the people that I've gotten to work with, uh, Joni Mitchell, my God, what a, what a mind to, to try and cope with. Uh, people, I've been really hugely lucky, man. I've gotten to work with a lot of incredibly talented people, M many of them, most of them. You know, more childhood than I am and, and, and right there in front of me to, to learn from. That's so so cool. am I the luckiest son of a bitch in the world? Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Because I didn't, uh, I didn't die a, in the first place. And secondly, I got to be right there uh, in the middle of huge puddles of music and, uh, and soak it up. Well, but that says a lot about you too, right? About your character and your talents that they want to work with you as well. Yeah. Well, not everybody did, but, you know, and, and not everybody still does. <laughs> happens to the best of us. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, you, you, do the, you do what you can. You, you work with people to the best degree you can. You try not to bring your own problems to it, and you try not to be a dick. But it's, uh, it, it, lives don't go in, in parallel paths, right? They're, you're always uh, diverging yeah. or converging with people. And yeah, exactly. I feel very lucky that I managed to get what, how long was CSN together? 40 years? I think it's insanely lucky that we got it to go that long. All, all three of us, and then you add Neil. Jesus, you talk about it. Whoops. <laughs> uh, talk about four really egotistical, really talented, really individual people trying to work it out to do something together mm -hmm. really tightly. <laughs> uh, it's, incredible. it's incredible if you pull it off at all. Yep. And we pulled it off many times. So I give us credit for that. And I forgive us for being human beings and, and screwing each other up and, you know, leaving each other behind in the dust. But that's sort of what you have to do. And, and the truth is you have to look at each day and find the clearest path towards the music that you want to make, the art that you want to make, the love that you want to make, the, the stuff that you are trying to accomplish with your life. And, and it really... 
you you do come to times when you have to quit that group or you have to start this new group or you know I started two new groups in the last five years and I like both of them uh, and I and I'm still working with both of them. I'm making electric records with the Sky Trails band and acoustic ones with the uh, with the the other band, <laughs> <laughs> the band that I'm doing with uh, with uh, Becca Stevens and Michael League and Michelle Willis. That's the acoustic one. And uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I think it's good. I'm, I'm, I like how I'm going about it. I, I think I'm kind of scatterbrained, but I think I've, I've managed to keep the music the most important thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not dismayed by the fact that that those bands are, are their time has passed, and that I'm in new bands and other bands. It's kind of nice not being huge. Also, uh, right now you can't work anyway. Yeah, that's a real problem for me. I can't work at all. They don't pay us for records anymore. That's a problem. Streaming's screwed. Yeah, they don't so pay us. What have you What have you been able to do during COVID? Like pretty much nothing at all. Or you guys done some right. live shows? I've been or able anything? to write. Yeah. Right. I, I've been able to write. No live shows at all. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to do any more live shows because I'm now a year away from it. My chops are down, and I'm 80 years old. So I don't. It's. I think I'm probably done. We can't get like a, a quick little live session like your your, your house or something or just yeah. like the guitar and, and David? Not really, no. Not really, no. That's not what I do. Uh, I uh, I would love to, you know, play uh, play more concerts. I miss it like crazy. Yeah. Um, but it has to be at a certain level for me to do it. And uh, I don't know how soon it's going to be before other people can get, you know, a a fully vaccinated audience together and, and be able to play. But that's what it takes for me. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do it by the time I'm just too old to do it anymore. I think I am now. What is that feeling of you, you know, standing in front of a large crowd playing? How, how does that feel to you? Uh, it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I have to try it then. <laughs> I'm gonna try it then. Absolutely, just gotta try it. It's, trust me. Well, let's talk about you know the next big thing. Let's go back to cannabis. You know, that's we all love cannabis, and cannabis is like our go-to man. So, uh, you got a brand of your own, the Mighty Cross, and that's uh, yeah, Mighty Cross, Mighty Cross. Okay, here's the here's the story on that. We are we do have a brand, and we are going to produce it, uh, but we are not in a hurry. Uh, we have been talking to everybody from Canopy on down, uh, for a year and, uh, we're still not in a hurry, uh, because until they make it legal federally, until you can deal with it federally, until you can deal with it as one country, you can only make a deal in one state at a time. And as any of the pot companies will tell you, that is an insanity. They are all trying to do it because they all greedy to get going. Mm-hmm. I'm not greedy to get going. I already have a job and I've got money. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not hurting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do have a company planned and I do have the connections to do it. And we do know how we want to do it. And we are acquiring the wherewithal to do it. But we're, I'm not desperate about it because uh they still haven't legalized it, and they and they will. Yeah, absolutely. But, well, here's the thing: you've got 
a lot of our tax money in the United States goes uh, up into the federal government, right? And then the federal government passes some of it down through a pipeline to the states for health, education, welfare kind of stuff. Uh, <clears throat> at the bottom of the pipeline, the states are always hurting, right? They're always hurting for money. They always have been. At the top, well, you had a, uh, the last government at the top didn't want to send any money down that pipeline, any black people or any brown people or any uh, young people or any old people or uh, any people other than themselves, really. This bunch of people is much more, you know, humane and will try. But the, the, at the bottom of the pipeline, there are still all these states just sitting there looking at it. And they're all watching Colorado and Oregon and now California who can build a school or a road or a hospital whenever they got to because they got, they got the money. Yep. They understand that and they want it. Now, that's, that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is the banks who have a big hand in running this country are not happy that billions with a B worth of dollars are being banked in Canada yeah. and not here. So I see the law changing, me personally. I think the, the odds are 100 to 1 against staying illegal, uh, no matter how, what kind of posturing and posing people are doing. Yeah. I think there's money on the table, and I've, it's been my experience that it'll get picked up. Without a doubt, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've witnessed that in Colorado. I mean, it's probably, uh, this might be something that a lot of people don't know about if they're outside of Colorado, but there's still a vast majority of Colorado that they, it's, they don't even allow recreational or medical cannabis in the county. And these counties that have been switching it, that's been at the top of the reason why is the tax revenue, because a lot of these small counties are hurting and they, they justify you know, to their constituents that, you know, we need the tax revenue, so they pass marijuana. So what you're saying is absolutely true. And basically what's left is these conservative strongholds and the conservative strongholds, they're going to look at it fiscally and as a monetary issue of like, we need to fill budget gaps. And yeah, I don't care sad. what posturing they're, they're yeah. doing. They're going to take it for the money. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which is kind of sad, but then it's like at the same time, yeah. it, it has to happen. I mean, it's going to happen. People doing the right thing for the wrong reason. We've seen that a lot. It's not, <laughs> it's not the news. You're right. Well, I think that's smart. I think it's like uh, it's like the story of the turtle and the hare. And I think um, there's a lot of quotes out there just in, in the business world in general of like, you don't ever really want to be the first to market. That sometimes the people who are second, third and fourth, fifth to market are the ones that learn all the mistakes that are initially made and don't have to be beat up in the regulatory hurdles or by the banks or uh, by not having a bank and having to deal with cash or by the IRS right now. Uh, there's a lot yeah, of the stuff. First, the, the first people who got in didn't really get beat up, man, but they did educate the rest of us. Snoop and Willie, okay, <laughs> yep. got in early because they're they're the two best known pot smokers in America, right? Yep. And uh, and what we found out is that celebrity brands don't work anywhere near as well yet, anyway, as we thought they would. Nowhere near. Uh, both of them are 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 successful. Both of them are 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 operating, are selling but nowhere near the level that they ha had hoped for. Uh, we had hoped that it would be a frenzy and it's absolutely not. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the result has been that, that, that the fervor for celebrity brands died, died right down. Uh, they still want to talk to me because I'm probably, the, you know, I'm in the top 
best known, uh, ten, the 10 best known pot smokers in, in the country, maybe. Uh, and, and they still think in the long run, that's going to count. Not yet, though. It, ha- it doesn't count yet, and it won't count until uh, we straighten out the legal situation. And then I think it'll count a lot. Mm-hmm. Look, beer and wine. Think of it as mm-hmm. beer and wine. How, look how much business beer and wine does. Oh, yeah. a lot. Hello. I think you're going to find that people like it more than they like uh, beer and wine. Uh, it's a very comfortable high if you find the right, the way, right one for you. Uh, and I think it's going to be a huge success and a huge part of American life. I don't think there's any question about it. I, you know, look, who's gone into the pot business in the last year? Molson in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch is, is going to the pot business. Oh, yeah. yep. they're, they're already making, both of those companies are already making pot-infused beer. And Molson's already selling it, I think. Uh, but uh, Budweiser isn't selling it yet. Anheuser Busch isn't selling it. If they're making it, they know about it and they fully intend to do it. Uh, Jesus, who else? There's a bunch. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think there's any question. They're, they usually will leave no stone unturned when there's a dollar underneath it. <laughs> That's it. That is it. Well, we look forward to your brand coming out, and I, you know, we totally support the decision to kind of sit back and see how things shake out, and kind of wait till the timing is right. Um, I think what's still missing in the market is just the the connection to quality cannabis. I think as things are kind of unveiling here, it's kind of just rolled out, and a lot of people are still, you know, shaking things out. And even in Colorado, we're still trying to preach the messaging of like what is quality cannabis and what should, what you should be buying, for, you know, for and what looking for and everything. And I think that's where you're going to come yeah. to the market and really help people out of just helping to straighten out. The difference between yeah. poor cannabis and what's good cannabis, and that's all going to be still something that has to be addressed down the road. That's kind of an afterthought right now. Yeah, I agree completely. Well, and then I also uh, know, and, I, and I, not I, just strength of cannabis, not just I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Not just strength of cannabis, but taste and smell. Yeah. And you were going to say, my dear. I was going to say I was reading about your brand and I know you guys are going to focus on baby boomers. And I think that'll be very helpful, you know, with your face as the brand as well, you know, to help make these people more comfortable about starting and trying cannabis. Yeah, I think so. I think most of them have already tried it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of us tried it clear back in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think it's good. People are getting a lot more comfortable with it now. And I I think it's it's proven out to be something that, that, is relatively harmless and, and a lot of fun. And you know where that goes. I, I don't think there's any question how it's going to wind up. <laughs> I think you get a lot of silly people posing and, and saying it's the road to hell. You're all going to hell. <laughs> but I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, they really don't. We're going to bring the summer of love back. That's what's going to yeah. happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate it. It was really cool to sit down and talk to you and learn more about, you know, cannabis and music and your whole journey through life. Um, but we are the Lit and Lucid podcast, so we do like to end with one final fun question. Are you okay. lit or are you lucid? I am lit. <laughs> ah, big time. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> I feel like nobody's ever had that much conviction in being lit, so... I, uh, it, I definitely am because because I was getting high while I was talking to you and <laughs> I'm definitely high as a kite right now. <laughs> thank best. you guys. All You're right, thank you, David. Yeah, thank Adios. you. It's a pleasure.
All right, you guys, with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Laters.